0: feeling shaky after maternity, or another long leave from work.
1: Comeback Coach is the Wobbly Bottom podcast about kick-ass comebacks with coaching psychologist Jessica Chivers. She's exactly what you need when you're riding the return to work rollercoaster. Hello, I'm Jessica, and this is a special episode of Comeback Coach to mark Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week 2021, which runs from the 3rd to the 9th of May. I'm a coaching psychologist, author of Mother's Work, and developer of Comeback Community. I'm also the founder and CEO of the Talent Keeper Specialists, and our mission is to keep everyone everywhere feeling confident, connected, and cared for when they take extended leave from work. I'm talking to three terrific women who really understand maternal mental health, Eve, Anna, and Mia. We're going to get an insight into prenatal depression, postnatal depression and psychosis, birth trauma and how to heal from these things. Taken together, perinatal depression, anxiety and psychosis carry a total long-term cost to society of about £8.1 billion for each one-year cohort of births in the UK. That's equivalent to just under £10,000 for every single birth in the country. And that's according to research by the Centre for Mental Health 2014. If you're listening to this in May 2021, then your download has helped raise money for Pandas Foundation, a UK-wide support service for families suffering prenatal and postnatal mental health issues. For every download, I'm making a donation. The aim of Pandas Foundation is to make sure no parent, family or carer feels alone. They offer free support services for every family through their free helpline, email service, support groups and motivational media channels. This episode is kindly sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, an award-winning Times Top 200 family law firm where over 90% of the staff say they'd recommend Raiden Solicitors as a good place to work. They've clearly got a sense of purpose and belonging, which I imagine shines through in the experience clients have. If you're in need of family law expertise, visit radensolicitors.co.uk. They're a really warm set of professionals. Now, on to my first conversation with Eve, who's the co-founder and coordinator of UK Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week for the Perinatal Mental Health Partnership she is a complete ray of light and is herself a postpartum psychosis survivor.
2: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really, really pleased to be here. So thank you. So Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK was born in 2017 and it was launched by a group of survivors of perinatal mental illness, such as myself. There were 11 of us at that time. So I say survivors in the sense that people who have experienced it or you know, family members who were affected by it, including a couple of healthcare professionals who'd had personal experience themselves. And we all kind of fell together on Twitter. We met each other on Twitter in 2014, all with some kind of aim of raising awareness in some way about perinatal mental illness. At that time, a lot of people spoke about postnatal depression, thankfully, because we need to discuss it. But kind of focusing on the other illnesses that can happen as well, and also that things can happen throughout pregnancy up until the first year after birth. We really felt there was something missing in the terms of awareness towards it. And so for a couple of years, we have worked around, should we do some kind of day? Should we run some kind of monthly campaign? We've got no money. What should we do? Should we become a charity? And we just decided in 2017 to name ourselves the Pro Mental Health Partnership, just be a group of individuals with a passion who'd experienced something and create an awareness campaign with no money or anything like that, like basically use social media linked up with the people who organize World Maternal Mental Health Day, which is always on the first Wednesday in May. We decided to launch the first ever week for it in 2017 during that same time.
1: Oh, Eve, you are amazing. And this is alongside your day job. So, say a bit more about the Perinatal Mental Health <laughs> Partnership then. Like, what are the aims? What are the goals? And it's so good to hear you laughing because this is such a serious subject, yet you bring such light and love and joy. And you know what, we have to do that. And I think that's why I'm so proud to be part of the partnership. You know, we
2: came together with lived experience, the passion behind it of people who've been through maternal mental illness or been affected by it because of a family member or a friend. And to use the knowledge that we've got, having got to the point of recovery, to show others that it's possible. And so for me and for my members, The whole point of the partnership is to show that recovery can and does happen, but that you might need support to get there. And I really feel like the Awareness Week is something that every May we can do a real focus on. This is what maternal mental illness is. This is how you can get support. You deserve support. And knowing those things means you're going to get better. And showing kind of us as a group of individuals and our families to say, we understand where you've been. And you can be where we are. You might not want to be recovered and do what I do and talk about it all the time and stuff. That's okay. You'll recover to the point where you're comfortable and can live your life happily. So there's a huge passion. It is a labor of love. And I really say that, you know, we all do this as a voluntary kind of thing alongside our charities and day jobs. But it is with the real, real passion that I still remember on a personal basis what it was like to desperately want to have my baby within three hours of having him, being incredibly scared of him. You know, I still remember that 11 years on and there's a part of me that just feels like I think I will want to continuously do something around raising awareness of maternal mental health, but not just raising awareness, Jessica. The whole point is raising awareness, for actually showing in the week core things women can do to try and access the support that they need in order to get better. So it's a real labor of love. Also, we try to make it really personal and relatable because women are watching it. Family members are watching it thinking I want to get information to show that, you know, my wife, my partner, you know, they're going to get better, my friend, my daughter, and we want them to be able to see videos, see information, which makes them feel like I can relate to this. I can pick this up. I can listen to it. Here's a girl who's laughing with a picture of her son next to her. We can get to that point as well. So that's the kind of point of it, like a
1: personal, relatable campaign each year. I love it. And where can people get information about what's happening during the week? How can people get involved? Well, so the week this year, we
2: have a different theme each year. And so this year's is Journeys to Recovery. Because what we've realised is over the last year during COVID, we've had lots and lots and lots of women and families contact us to say they've sought out new ways of seeking recovery. It's been difficult to see doctors in person this year. You know, so there have been lots of video video calls between doctors. Peer support groups have been done over Zoom or online. We've got Letters of Light that's set up where women are writing letters to other women to show they'll get better. Some people have been doing online craft sessions, art therapies, online singing lessons. So we thought we'd use the week this year to show the lots of different ways that you can recover. And so this year, people can get involved by following the hashtag JourneysToRecovery. Very simply, we are encouraging people, if they feel comfortable and only if they feel comfortable, to share a picture which indicates the journey to recovery that they're on. So this could be anything, some drawing that they've done, a picture of their medication, if they feel comfortable with some therapy notes, you know, a craft that they might have made. But equally, we are really aware, and I still remember what it's like to be going through maternal mental illness, we don't want women to feel like they have to be involved in some kind of way. They can just look on social media, search up the hashtag to Recovery, And also, we've got a different theme for each day, which is all over our social media. So just search Perinatal Mental Health Partnership on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We come up immediately. There's a bunch of smiling faces, including mine, you know, so people know they've gone to the right page. And we've got a daily theme each day. So, you know, how to access help from healthcare professionals looking after yourself and your family. The last day is really looking at all the different journeys to recovery and how we get there. So women can easily log on to social media, do that search on the hashtag and find information. And what's really heartening actually is that, you know, we're going into year five now. We were really lucky to have the involvement of Dr. of Cambridge last year, throw her support behind it. And we've got organisations in the NHS, mother and baby units, perinatal teams, massive supermarkets. You know, we've got all kinds of people now contacting us to run events during the week. If you are someone who wants to run an event during the week, go to one of our pages on social media. We have a Google Drive document at the top of each bit where we've got you know, symptom checkers, self-care trackers, details on where you can go to get information for help, Our director of support all over the UK. So it's all in
1: one place. Someone else who knows firsthand about maternal mental health is Anna Cisse, a journalist and founder of Motherdom.co.uk, the first UK online media platform to address issues of maternal mental health. Anna experienced prenatal depression when she was eight months pregnant with her second child. The first sign was sobbing in her car outside her daughter's preschool, and it came out of nowhere. I asked Anna what happened next.
3: I was six months pregnant and I just started to feel really low. I would wake up in the morning with a kind of sinking feeling in my stomach, which just wouldn't shift for the whole day. My anxiety was being triggered left, right and centre like you said, I really didn't know what was happening to me. I felt like I'd been hit by a ton of bricks. I had no history of mental health issues. You know, at that point, that was now four years ago. And a lot's changed in four years. But at that point, there wasn't as much awareness, at least not that I was plugged into about mental health and well (laughs) being. I kind of say that I'm from the Spice Girls generation. So as far as I was, you know, growing up, all I was interested in was being ginger spice (laughs) and working hard and getting a great job and you know, maybe having a family at some point. But It was never really on my radar. So when it started happening to me, I did what I'm very good at. And I kind of buried my head in the sand and decided it's fine, it's fine, it'll go away. You know, I had a toddler at the time as well. So you just carry on. You have to, you have to carry on with your daily life. And there was a lot going on. My husband was away. We were doing up our house. You know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate when you're pregnant. (laughs) You tend to try and pack everything in. And so I thought, no, you know, it's because there's lots happening. That's why I'm feeling like this. But then when everything settled down, and I was also working at the time, but when I went on my mat leave, when my husband was home, when our house was finished, by that point, I was about eight months pregnant. And I thought, you know what, this feeling is not going anywhere. I can't carry on like this. So That moment you described of me sitting in my car outside my daughter's preschool, that was the moment I decided to call Pandas. And Pandas, if anyone listening doesn't know who they are, are the most amazing charity who provide free telephone and email support for anyone going through perinatal mental health issues. And I called them. I only spoke to a lady for about five minutes, but she was so kind. And she said, look, I've got twins. They're seven now. I have postnatal depression. It does get better. There is hope. Call your GP, she said. And I thought, okay. I wasn't expecting her to say that. I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what I was expecting, but I did what she said. I put the phone down to her and then I called my GP and I made an appointment. And then the next thing I did was call my husband. I hadn't even really vocalized it to myself, let alone anyone else. So making that step of reaching out for help and crossing that chasm was really scary. But, you know, I'm so happy I did it in hindsight because I was then referred. I got CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, through the NHS within what felt like a couple of weeks because I was eight months pregnant. I guess I was prioritised at that time. So, yeah, I was very, very lucky to receive the help I needed and start that journey of recovery.
1: Wow. You know, I'm really impressed that you got that CBT so quickly. And how did you find pandas? Was that just a simple Google search?
3: Yes, I found them through Google. I'd been looking at their website for about a week before I got the courage to actually make the call. And I think taking that step of reaching out for help is actually something that's not spoken about a lot. And it is a really very difficult thing to do. So yeah, it took me about a week to call them.
1: Will you just say something about how common is prenatal depression? Because it's just not something we hear about
3: so we know that one in five women will experience a mental health condition in what's called the perinatal period so that means any time from conception through to when your baby is one that's the kind of most common talked about statistic but certainly you're right antenatal or prenatal mental health conditions are not spoken about as much and I don't think there's as much awareness about it there's still a stigma around any kind of mental health condition as a mother but I think in the period of pregnancy you know there's still a, a very strong pressure on women to feel this is the happiest time of their lives and you should just be feeling joyful <laughs> all the time, every day, which you're not necessarily. And it's no reflection on, you know, I adore my son and he's, you know, gorgeous little boy and there's no reflection on him at all. But, you know, when I was pregnant with him, I wasn't feeling great. I knew I needed help, but I didn't feel at the time that it was something that was spoken about a lot.
1: Mm. And why do you think we don't hear? much about it
3: well I mean I can only talk about my experience but for me I felt this huge feeling I mean firstly like I said I wanted to bury my feelings like I'm not really that good at or I'm much better than I used to be but you know I wasn't at the time very good at processing how I was feeling but I also felt this huge sense of shame and failure as well you know you sort of feel like I haven't even given birth to this child yet I'm already failing as the mother of this child because I'm not meeting a certain expectation, whether that's my own expectation or, or society's expectation of how you're supposed to feel. So, yeah, I think there is a lot of shame, a lot of stigma. And I think, you know, four years on, I'm happy to say I think that is starting to change. So, I think the landscape is different now to when I was pregnant four years ago.
1: Anna didn't experience any depression with her first child, and yet here she was pregnant with her second, experiencing prenatal or antenatal depression. As she had a first pregnancy to compare it with, I was curious to know whether she was automatically given any extra support after giving birth the second time around because she'd been diagnosed with prenatal depression.
3: So I went to see my GP and I said to her, if I tell you what's in my head, I'm worried you're going to take my daughter away, my my toddler at the time. And she just looked at me and said, no, you've done absolutely the right thing. You've come to get support. We're going to help you. Here's the number of the local mental health service and I'm going to refer you. And then the next thing that happened, maybe about a week later, was I had a telephone consultation with that mental health team. And then probably, as I said, a week after that, I was seen in person. This is obviously pre-COVID. This was in January 2017. So I was seen by a perinatal psychotherapist who was my therapist for six months on and off. So I saw her a couple of times before I gave birth and then had a six-week break and went back with my son in the pushchair when he was six weeks old and, yeah, saw her until he was about six months or maybe five months. Yeah. And the whole process of therapy was just life changing for me. It was just so eye opening to realise that you're not your thoughts, that your thoughts don't have to control you and that you can choose which thoughts you hold on to and which ones you let go. And I think that was a huge turning point in my life and a huge education for me.
1: It sounds like it was really positive and really supportive. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and of course, that experience was a precursor to you founding Motherdom. Tell us about that.
3: Yes, as I said, I had therapy until my son was five or six months old. And sort of in the summer of 2017, I thought, okay, I I feel a lot better. But what about women who might be in the position I was in? I found myself in six months ago. The women who don't know anything about mental health or well-being. The women who don't know where to ask for help. I thought, well, how can I use my skills? So I'm a journalist. I thought, you know what, there is no media platform dedicated to maternal mental health and well-being, and there should be one. So that's where the idea for Motherdom came to me. So later that year, once my son went into a couple of days of childcare with the Childminder, I started working on it. And so it's three and a half years later, and we've just launched a new website. So all of our content has become digital, because we actually started out as a print magazine. So we published four issues at the print magazine in 2019. And last year, Took a hiatus, as I'm sure a lot of people did, and I was also looking for funding and trying to change the business model. So we have just relaunched in a digital format. But yeah, our content is all about maternal mental health and well-being, and talking about mental health in parenting and encouraging that conversation to happen.
1: And you've got some lovely pieces up there, and the website looks beautiful. So cracking job done by you and the team. Thank
3: you. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. You know, what are the aims? What are the goals? What you're hoping for with Motherdom this year and beyond?
3: My overall vision for motherdom is to create a world of happier parents. That's my dream. (laughs) The way we do that is through creating content. Um, We also have a new membership scheme for professionals, for maternal health and wellness professionals. So we're also trying to build up that professional community as well alongside the content that we publish. We are aiming to do a podcast (laughs) so it's lovely to speak to you today because I love audio that's actually my natural home I used to work in radio so yeah we are going to start a podcast at some point this year once I kind of get over (laughs) the excitement of the website launch.
1: It's so heartening to see and hear the joy that Anna gets from her work with motherdom something that probably wouldn't have come about if she hadn't experienced prenatal depression. The podcast that she mentioned hasn't been birthed yet. But when it is, they're going to call it the Maternal Mental Health Diaries. Next, I spoke to Mia Scotland, a perinatal psychologist, doula and author of two books, Why Postnatal Depression Matters and Birth Shock. Mia is my guest at our next free Comeback Conversation event online, Tuesday, the 25th of May, 8 till 8.45pm GMT. And our subject is how to look after your perinatal mental health. And I do hope you'll join us. And if you come, you'll be helping raise even more money for pandas that supported Anna and many women like her. For every person who joins us live on the 25th, I'm donating a pound to pandas. I started by asking Mia about the 26 new perinatal mental health hubs that NHS England announced will be in place by April 2022.
0: I think it's great news, very welcomed, very needed. I think that to recognise that perinatal mental health is a specific area that needs specific input and specific training, I think is brilliant. One of the things that I do feel is that we want to make sure we're not just trying to repair the damage. We need to be aware of what's causing the damage. So also, hopefully, there'll be some research and some money going forward into looking at, well, why is there such a need? Why is there so much distress perinatally? What can we do to stop women suffering in the first place? And it's not just the women, is it? It's the partners and the babies as well and the families. So, yes, I would say to Claire... What we know really helps protect women is more resources in maternity care, in postnatal wards and in generally taking care of women in the perinatal period, generally continuity of carer, good midwifery support, all that kind of stuff. Lots of money into midwifery, I think, would really help reduce some of the, if you like, distress that's created there is so much distress and your second book,
1: which is brilliant, I'm three quarters of the way through, Birth Shock, there clearly is so much distress, which is why you needed to write the book that you wrote.
0: Yeah.
1: And go on, tell me about the book then, you know, I've sort of just given away the answer almost, you know, you felt you need to write it, but what was it that led to you writing it?
0: I mean, increasingly so. I think... Perinatal mental health as a specialism is quite new. I mean, I've been working with women who've been upset by their births for 25 years. And at the beginning of my journey, there wasn't an understanding that birth could create PTSD. People didn't even know that. And I think there's been a lot of learning in the last couple of decades, which is great. However, for me, there still needed to be a little bit more that for me is the next level, which is understanding that in some cases, it's the maternity services that are leaving women upset. And so I wanted to write a book which helped us understand why it is women are getting traumatized at birth and that it isn't their fault. <laughs> I work with women all the time who feel like it's their fault. They did something wrong, they were to blame in some way. And so I wanted to write a book that helped women by saying to them actually there are lots of other reasons that this is not your fault there's other problems within the maternity systems etc etc within the birthing world in the community that is also creating a lot of distress so it was my opportunity to just get that out there and I enjoyed writing it for that reason It's a cracking book. And one of the things that sticks in my mind,
1: so much so that I know the page reference page, I think it's page 101. You talk about being designed to heal, which is such a positive message that we are designed to heal, that no matter what you've experienced, we are designed to heal.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the research shows that with birth trauma... 70% of people will spontaneously go on to be okay so we need to give people time to heal and give them the right conditions to heal I mean if I cut my finger I know what to do to help it heal and I know what to do to not make it worse and it's the same with birth trauma there are things that we can do to help us to heal naturally the brain is an organic thing you know and if we weren't designed to heal from traumatic experiences we wouldn't have got very far as a species because most of us go through life having difficult things happen to us and most of us have got the facility to heal naturally and we can help ourselves to do that sometimes we need some help to heal and that's okay too sometimes my finger would become infected and I'd go and see a doctor and sometimes people come to see me when they have had birth trauma or somebody like me and get some treatment that way so I like to make it not sound like a big deal I like to destigmatize it it's what I do every day we are humans
1: There's such a warm, reassuring tone in the book. And I can't let you use that phrase, birth trauma, without asking you just to unpack it because there may be people listening who are not familiar with that. So will you just say a bit about what birth trauma is?
0: Well, that's a really difficult question and I'm going to have to shorten it quickly and maybe just talk about PTSD following birth, which is when we don't heal from birth, when we're still thinking about it, when we can't talk about it without crying, when we find it invades our mental space at night when we're dreaming or trying to go to sleep or in the day when we're trying to have a coffee with a friend. And it can feel like the event was only yesterday, it can feel very raw, very upsetting, whereas it might have been years ago. That's signs that you may have birth trauma. It doesn't have to be birth, you can have be traumatized by other things as well. And that's a sign when it is going on and it doesn't seem to be getting better, that there are lots of lovely ways that you can find to help yourself to heal and help yourself to get into a position where you can talk about it without crying, where it doesn't invade your daily life, where you remember it, you'll never forget it, but it doesn't bring that same level of distress. So there's different gradations of it to meet the criteria for full-blown PTSD. For example, there has to be certain things that are happening in your life. But I work with a lot of women and the research suggests 50 to 60% of women come away from their birth really upset. And although they might not need treatment, and that might include people who are listening, that doesn't mean that we don't need to take care of each other when that's happened. And it's okay to be upset by a difficult birth. It's okay to want to talk about it and to process it. That's all normal and good. If you're worried about yourself, or if a friend or a member of a family is worried about you, there's increasingly, with these hubs happening, a lot of help out there. Do not hesitate
1: yeah including obviously there's the NHS there's your midwife there's GPs there's the Panda's Foundation that we're raising money for with this podcast and the event that you and I are doing together at the end of May I'm really curious to know about what the mitigating or protective factors might be for birth trauma you know is there a way of
0: reducing the chances of experiencing birth trauma the research is suggesting that there are two main factors which might increase your chances of experiencing birth trauma. One is how dramatic the birth is, if you like, how medicalized it was, whether your baby ended up in NICU, things like that can definitely make it much harder for us to come to terms with what happened. The other one is the quality of the relationship between the carers. And so if we felt we were listened to, if we felt that we had a voice and we were heard and cared for, that's really protective. Now, you can't always choose who's going to be there for you on the day, but maybe you can choose other people at your birth that will help you to feel supported. So, for example, we know that a birth doula can make a big difference to that. And after the event, if you have had a difficult birth, we know that taking care of yourself, resting, allowing yourself to talk about it, eating well, sleeping as best as you can, letting other people take care of you, not thinking like you have to get back in your jeans and get back into this local shop within two days. Take pyjama days, spend a week in bed. You know, you've been through a big thing. Birth is a big deal when it goes really oh, well. Yes, yes. <laughs> when it doesn't go well, it's an even bigger deal. So take care of yourself. It's a thing that our society isn't very good at doing. We don't really take care of our women very well after birth, but we should be because we know that that is a protective factor. Lots of time to recover, restore, be nurtured, take care of yourself will help you heal naturally.
1: Yeah, I compare and contrast my experience of having my two children. And I was really fortunate with both of those. They were both natural births that went really well, but contrasted them with my mother-in-law's experience of having my husband. And again, that was a good experience for her. But we were talking about how, I think back in those days, we're actually recording on his birthday, as he's 48 today, and how she stayed in hospital. I think she talked about two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Yeah. And just thinking that that care and that ability to have professionals care for you as well as support you in caring for the baby, it's huge. Whereas now we talk about trying not to sort of medicalize birth and you go and you have your baby and you can be home the same day.
0: Mm. And I
1: just think... Well, what's your view on that? You
0: can be home within four hours. And going home... My
1: goodness. Remember,
0: going home involves getting dressed, washed, showered, eating, getting the baby dressed putting the baby in a carrier, putting the carrier in a car. Usually we're driving home, right? Walking out of the hospital into bright sunlight and other cultures would think we were crazy. I know that we're not ill when we've had babies, but we've been through a transformative major change and we're at the start of a journey. So other cultures don't do it like that. Other cultures, as you say, even in British hospitals a few decades ago, women were forced to stay in bed for two weeks. I remember my mum saying, I wanted to come home, but I wasn't allowed to. Other cultures, Really put a lot of emphasis on rest, on the mother just looking after the baby while everyone else looks after the mother. And she's fed, she's given everything that she needs. And that goes on for six weeks in a lot of other cultures.
1: Wow. Across,
0: yeah, 40 days generally. And this is across the globe South America, China, Africa. So most of the traditional cultures have time for mum to recover after she's had her baby. But in Britain, we don't do that. There isn't really that understanding. And you talk to someone's now and they don't realise that maybe it's a good idea to plan some pyjama days after they've had their baby. It doesn't even cross their mind. And that's a very good way of recovering from a difficult birth. Rest. Oh, gosh. I'm just astonished to hear what you
1: say about those different cultures, Mia. And gosh, yeah, how different that would be for so many women if we had that here in the UK.
0: I was talking to a woman the other day who said, oh, this is what it's like in my culture. She said, we had a massage every single day, a massage every single day, a full body massage Mm. for the mother every day. Hot stone massages for the mother, the best food they can provide for her, brought to her bedside. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'd love it any (laughs) time. Really looking after her. Totally. And you mentioned the
1: word doula a few minutes ago, and of course, as well as being a perinatal clinical psychologist and an author, you are a doula. And I would love you just to tell us what a doula does. And perhaps you'll talk a little bit about the link between using a doula and mental health outcomes.
0: So doulas have known to be very beneficial for the mother Long before it was even a thing, it was by accident. Someone was doing a piece of research and they had a woman in taking the results while the woman was birthing. And they realised that by having a woman in there noting results, the birth outcomes were better. And they were like, well, what happened there? We've just got a researcher sitting in the corner doing nothing and these births are better. And it was the experience of having somebody in the room with you is beneficial. And if you add to that a woman who's there for you emotionally, as in that was the deal, she's a birth doula, then the outcomes become even better. And the outcomes are across lots and lots of things, not just the mother's satisfaction and the birth outcome. So a birth is a, a wonderful thing if we look at the statistics and the research. When I first got pregnant, I considered it and I remember thinking, oh, I don't want a stranger there at my birth. And of course, since then, I thought that's maybe a mistake that I made. And I think other people might do too. The birth was fine, but I know it would have been better with a birth doula there. And some people say, oh, but that's what my partner's for. No, the doula's there for the partner as well. Often as a birth doula, you're there to help the couple be amazing together and help him to support her if it is a him. So I'm an absolute fan of doulas. And I think that the research is very, very clear it's one really good way to help you to have a better outcome to feel better about your birth after you've had it. And you can have postnatal doulas as well. They're not just there for the birth, they're there for you after. They come in, they look after the toddlers, they clean the house, they hoover, they look after you while you look after your baby. They're also a great resource. Wow. I knew nothing
1: about this Mia when I first gave birth 14 years ago. I wish I'd had a little bit of this. A final question then i I'm going to ask one that's just popped into my head, coming from a place of curiosity. I've often heard people talk about women would have a much better experience if they had continuity of care through the period when they've gone into labour and as they birth. That isn't possible in the NHS when there's a shift change. Or do you think... It could be possible for women to have continuous care. And how would it work with a doula? If this was, say, a gargantuan period of contractions, would she just stay with you you know,
0: for 48 hours? Or how does that work? Well, that is what a doula provides. She does provide continuity of carer. She is there for the whole duration. And she's a woman that the woman got to know in her pregnancy as well. So it's a familiar phase in continuity of carer in terms of midwifery, what is definitely possible and has been done again and again and again. I mean, it's nothing new. It's not difficult. Is to have continuity of carer team. So the woman gets to know the team. So yes, there might be a change of midwife through her labor, but it's another midwife that she has met because she will have met the team of six or seven or eight midwives. So the research is absolutely clear that if we have continuity of carer, the outcomes are better. And going back to what would I say to Claire Murdoch, I would say absolutely prioritize continuity of care because it's the best way to save a shedload of money in the NHS not just around the perinatal period but for the child's future you know the research is quite clear that when attachment and bonding goes well around birth It sets the child up for years and years. So you've got me onto my passion there. Continuity of carer, really important. And there's loads of psychology behind it. There's loads of psychology behind what women do when they are vulnerable. They look for the team that's going to have their back. And if they don't feel someone near them has their back, they get scared. And then they're more likely to get post-traumatic stress. So we need the woman to feel like she has a team around her of people that she knows that she's familiar with and who she trusts. Continuity makes such a difference to that.
1: Wow. There were so many other questions I wanted to ask Mia. She's such a caring, warm authority on birth. And I'm blown away by what other cultures do to support women in the postnatal period. And postnatal doulas are a revelation. I wish I'd had one. Now, I've included links to the websites Mia recommends for finding a doula in the show notes, along with her books. Now, the postnatal period can be more than hard work, challenging or tricky. As I found out when Eve, who you met at the start, told me about what happened to her.
2: Postpartum psychosis. I'd never heard of it when I gave birth, which is one of the reasons I wanted to kind of raise awareness and talk about it so much. It is classed as a psychiatric medical emergency. So it hit me within about three hours of Joe being born. And I would say here that there's a really great charity called Action on Postpartum Psychosis, who are a very personable and relatable charity where you can get information. But the symptoms of postpartum psychosis, they're very unusual and very dramatic in the very beginning. So you can experience hallucinations and mania. You might find yourself becoming excitable, hysteria, making long lists of things that I felt like I was rambling a lot. I had uh, hallucinations that I was floating in the clouds and floating in the corner of the room you kind of become very excitable very quickly and act very strangely I had symptoms where I felt like I was being buried alive in a coffin I felt my overriding symptom was that I felt trapped by Joe and kind of trapped by his presence someone who experienced it got lots of things around religious symbols I don't know if you watched these senders but I worked on the EastEnders storyline for postpartum psychosis it was partly based on my experience but the character in EastEnders who went through postpartum psychosis okay, so was very much into kind of religious ideology and thought her baby was the son of God. You know, so it's very much things like you will notice if the woman in your life who's just had a baby is starting to act differently to normal. You know, so John thought that I became very withdrawn. I was talking incredibly quickly, pacing around the house, feeling like I had this terrible feeling of doom over me. And I started to feel like I could smell unusual smells. I wasn't able to do normal kind of tasks. I couldn't get dressed on my own for example, and I was really, really, really scared of Joe.
1: Gosh, that must have been so frightening for you. Did you recognise that something was wrong straight away? Or was it your partner or other family members, friends who recognised it and was able to get help for you?
2: I knew straight away. Now, I know lots and lots of women, you know, postpartum psychosis kind of tribe of women whom some of them didn't know they didn't know but I knew immediately straight away that I didn't feel right I witnessed a postnatal ward and I felt very strangely very very hot when everyone else wasn't hot that was one of my first physical symptoms and I knew when I left hospital when I, as soon as I walked out Joe was three days old I walked out onto the street to get in the car and I kind of developed what I can only describe as tunnel vision everything went black and I could just see this white honestly this white circle in front of me and we got into my sister's car to drive home. And I can still imagine it now. I can still envision it. I thought the car was rocking. And I said to John, why are there so many people surrounding the car? And he said, well, you know, that there isn't. In my mind, there was a swarm of people surrounding the car, and the car was rocking back and forth. And I remember John said, oh, you know, would you like the baby next to you? You know, I've been with him for three days in the hospital. And I said, no, 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 you, like, he can go next to you. And I realized that three days old, actually, I didn't want him next to me, because I was really scared of him. So I knew I wasn't right. At the end of the first week, you know, John said, taking you to the doctor. Well, actually, we spoke to the health for that. But he could see, he said, Eve is not herself at all. It's gone beyond that. And of course, then when my mum arrived to see me, I was in a complete and utter state, jabbering and wandering around the house with not a clue what to do, not wanting the baby near me at all. It was the interaction of me saying, I don't feel quite right alongside my family members. But what I would say is some women don't know because, you know, I was going in and out of hallucinations. You might have some people who might go into a catatonic state, for example, You know, and they're not able to say how they're feeling or understand that they're in that kind of state. And that's when family members notice that they're acting strange, you know, and at that point do ring 999 or, you know, ring the GP or take them to casualty. And it's okay to do that because it is an emergency and they do need to receive support from a perinatal team and they might have admission into a mother and baby unit like I did but I always just say you mustn't feel scared of seeking help if you feel like the person in your life who's just had a baby is acting in a way that's not like themselves at all because you know your instincts are correct something isn't right needs yeah. to get help and she will be okay but that help is really important to get as soon as you can and if you feel like you're not being listened to ask to see another doctor ask to see another healthcare professional. You know, we weren't listened to until Joe was six weeks old and I was admitted to the mother and baby unit. You know, and I was incredibly ill. I was incredibly ill. I couldn't be near my son at all. And I realize now from speaking to some of the doctors who dealt with me at that time, that they just didn't know what to do with me. You know, some of them hadn't heard of it before. And so I'm so grateful that my experience is being used to kind of inform them. But I would always say the person in your life who's just had a baby, listen to her, look out for her actions. And you know, seek help if necessary, even if you're not sure, seek help.
0: And
1: Eve, had you had any experience of mental health issues before this? I asked because I'm wondering about are there certain risk factors for postpartum psychosis? And would you say something about the increased risk factors if indeed there are such things or if it can just hit people at random? I'm I, you know not that it's really any comparison, but I'm just thinking about how they say that altitude sickness has nothing to do with fitness. It can just strike anybody. There's nothing that you could do to prepare for that. Say about postpartum psychosis then.
2: It's a good analogy, you know, because I think, you know, first of all, I wasn't asked when I was pregnant if I'd had any mental health issues, which of course we have vastly improved upon in the last few years. You know, we have specialist midwives and things and, you know, questionnaires have been formulated to ask people. I wasn't asked As a teenager, in terms of background, I'd had bulimia as a teenager, but I gave birth when I was 29, you know, but I had never been asked about anything kind of mental health wise. One of the risk factors is if you have bipolar, you are to be asked if you've got bipolar when you're pregnant, because there is a risk factor that you could develop postpartum psychosis. And, you know, under the care of a healthcare professional, there are medications you can safely take while you're pregnant, you know, to help keep things in check to ensure that you're well when the baby's born or in a better place than you would be without it. But I don't, you know, I don't have bipolar and it did essentially hit me out of the blue. That's why it was so incredibly scary because I didn't have any, essentially, anxiety towards having a baby when I was pregnant. At no point had it passed my mind that I thought I'd feel trapped by my baby or scared by the fact that he was here forever. You know, those were things that I was relishing when I was pregnant. So there was a risk factor around, you know, bipolar, but it hit me out of the blue. It hit me out of the blue, you know, which it does for many women. And I think often that can be the time if you haven't had that specialist help during your pregnancy because you haven't been experiencing any mental health issues at that time, then to it kind of hit you out of the blue is terrifying for both you and your family members, you know, and you bring your baby home and this is happening. But yeah, if you do have bipolar and you haven't been asked about it, or like any mental health background um, by your healthcare professional when you're pregnant, do you say to them, actually, this is what I suffer from, this is the medication that I'm on, you know. I think I might need extra support because there is a risk factor of postpartum psychosis, which they should be aware of.
1: Yeah, I'm staggered that you weren't asked about your mental health. My children are 14 and 12, and I don't remember if I was asked about my mental health, possibly because it wasn't an issue for me because I haven't got any known mental health history. You know, I'm so encouraged by what you said about journeys to recovery and that being the theme this year. Will you just say something about your recovery and any of the stories that stand out for you? Because I want us to end this special episode of the podcast by giving people a sense of hope, of optimism. And I love what you said about the letters of light. It's just beautiful.
2: Oh, yay. <laughs> I'm such a big fan of Letters of Light and I'm really good friends with Liv Who Runs It, so I will always give them a shout out. The project is a real light in a time of darkness during COVID to have women writing to other women to say, I'm proof that you can and we'll get better. But of course, you know, that's one of the things that encouraged us to do the Journeys to Recovery theme. Because we do want it to be celebratory in a way to show that, you know, some women have got there and, you know, there's other women will get there. But in terms of my own journey to recovery, when Joe was six weeks old, I went into a mother and baby unit, 200 miles away from where I live. But we got into one. They're wonderful places. To me, it was like a home away from home. And we spent three months with me recovering. And then, you know, I was on medication and I took medication for a long time. I'm on some maintenance medication now, but I feel completely like me. You know, I feel recovered I'm with my lovely 11 year old son the son I was really scared of you know is basically sellotaped to me all the time now you know and I adore that he is I love him so much and I think all the individuals that are in the perinatal mental health partnership who've experienced it you know have achieved their own journey to recovery as well in different ways And you know, for me it was medication I had EMDR therapy as well which was you know wonderful for me which I'd never heard of as I was recovering and mental health nurse asked me if I'd like to do it and it was brilliant But, you know, I feel like we should be talking about these journeys to recovery. The whole point of us speaking out is to say to women, you will get better. There might be lots of different ways. You know, some medications that work for one person works for another one. If the one that you're on at the moment isn't working for you, there will be another one that can support you. There's a raft of therapies, you know, you can access via the NHS now or privately if you're able to pay for them. You know, there are specialists in patient places like mother and baby units where you can go to recover if you have a severe perinatal mental illness and they're not places to be frightened of, they're really lovely places. And, you know, and then time, time and support from charities and third sector organisations. There are some amazing charities across the country, like Action on Postpartum Psychosis, Bluebell Group, Smile, Apne, Juno, Acacia. There's loads. And they're all being built by people who've been through perinatal mental illness. And they've all got a wonderful support program I was actually talking to a charity called Manuka two days ago, based in North West London, who've been set up to help Jewish mums. And like their model is unbelievable. Like we're doing a live with them during the week. They've been training up psychotherapists. They've trained up people to go on a helpline for Jewish mums, even though they're in Northwest End, And they're happy to take calls from anywhere. So mums can feel that they're talking to another mum who understands, you know, the cultural sensitivities. In the partnership, you know, we've just taken on three more members to ensure that we are representing black and Asian mums. So it's a thing of saying we want the week to be accessible to all mums. We engage with the Asian Mums Network. The motherhood group is for black mums, you know, Manuka, for Jewish mums. And I doing a lot of work actually with the LGBT mummies tribe this year. And then also talking to a perinatal trainer about how perinatal services can be inclusive to LGBTQ families. You know, so I feel like there is something for everyone in the week each year. But this year, it was really important for us to focus on journey to recovery, because essentially that's what you want. When you're sick, the whole thing you're saying is, when am I going to get better? How am I going to get better? And we want the week to
1: show that you can and you do. You can and you do. Eve Canavan, you are not a letter of light, but you are light in human form. It has been such a pleasure to hear from you. (laughs) You know, the smile, the laughter, the positivity, you're a ray of hope. Eve, thank you so much for being here.
2: Oh, no, thank you. I've loved it. Thank you for having me. Such an honour. Thank you.
1: What a complete joy Eve is, and I can only imagine how she lights up a room. It would have been wonderful to meet her in person. And everything Eve does, she does beyond her day job in the civil service as the deputy head of the Queen's Award for Enterprise. Eve mentioned lots of sources of support, and they're all in the show notes. So if you or someone you know is affected by anything we've raised in this episode, please take a look at those. My thanks to Anna Sise, Mia Scotland, and Eve Canavan for being my wonderful guests on this special episode of Comeback Coach, marking Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week 2021.